Welcome to Revolve, where we explore big questions from all angles. Each season, we use one big question to dive into a topic with experts, showing how perspective matters in building thoughtful solutions. I'm Trip Williams. Season 1. What makes an economy strong and vibrant? Using Seattle as a case study, this season we talk with different people involved in economic development to learn how economies are built. This episode features Sanja Nakasi and Ryan Glasgow, co-founders of the nonprofit social enterprise Community Credit Lab. Community Credit Lab is working to get capital to underserved communities on their terms. Working with partner banks and community organizations, Community Credit Lab increases access to credit and provides education to promote financial equity. In this episode, Sanjo, Ryan, and I discuss their work to eliminate the poverty premium, why no interest lending is realistic, and how affordable credit can be a powerful tool in communities. Today, we're excited to have Sanjo Nikasi and Ryan Glasgow from the Community Credit Lab to join us to talk about their role in economic development. So, welcome. Thanks, Trip. Thank you, Trip. Yeah, so let's let's jump right in. I know um, we have a lot to cover, and uh, I'm really excited to have you guys on. So thanks for joining. So the first thing I wanted to start with, you know, the the concept of economic development it means a lot of things, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I'm just curious if you can offer for us, from where you sit and uh, the work you do, uh, you know, how, how do you define economic development? Yeah. So I, for me, um, I think economic development really means that people who are living in a community or an economy are, are supported with the tools that they need to be successful in whatever way they've defined success for themselves um, and that they have that power to determine their future. That's great. That's great. And so what, what have you seen in terms of where efforts, economic development efforts have either failed or succeeded? What are some of the components you've seen in essential projects, or I'm sorry, in successful projects? I think, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is that uh, oftentimes things get designed in a way that is top down sort of from higher office buildings. And, and you know, this is also something that we need to be careful of in the work that we do. Uh, but just kind of making sure that there is engagement and, and um not only engagement, but also sort of authority at the community level, um, you know, at the level of the individual and the and the collective of the people that uh, a lot of policies and and strategies and models and solutions are trying to support. I think um, you know the other thing that we've seen is is also the opposite, where sort of ideas germinate at that level and then get really fleshed out and um, aren't able to integrate at the higher levels mm. into actual policy or, or solutions and, and models at scale. So it's, I think the balance is really essential. And, and we, we try to kind of sit in between those two worlds and, and help strike that balance. Yeah. So let's actually, let's use that to jump into, um, I, I want to have a chance to be sure to hear more about the work you specifically have been doing and, and the organization you've kicked off. So Community Credit Lab, uh, is, you know, you're working to to help get capital to underserved communities, right? And I'd love for you to just explain to the audience what Community Credit Lab is, um, you know, what you've tr been trying to do with the organization, who you're trying to serve. I uh, would love to just hear a little bit more about that project in particular and that organization. 
Sure. Yeah. So Community Credit Lab, we are, like you said, a nonprofit. Um, We are just an organization that is trying to be really nimble and address challenges that have existed and are emerging right now or or will emerge in the future by using affordable credit as a tool to remove barriers. And really what that means is we never design anything ourselves. We really try to engage and work with um, community members and community organizations and nonprofits to, to help us understand what are the challenges that these communities are facing and how can we best use a tool and design together a tool that removes a barrier to uh, an economic opportunity for an individual or a business or a community? Yeah, sure. I think that's, um, you know, and the, the way we started all this was Sandy and I having conversations about um, you know, what is a well-documented problem called the poverty premium, which is, you know, in simple terms, the fact that people with fewer resources have to pay more to access credit. And we mapped out kind of what that looks like just based on our pre-existing knowledge in terms of how financial institutions make decisions and how extractive some of those decisions can end up being and how that leads to, you know, almost $200 billion a year in the U.S. uh, in fees and interest Mm. for underserved communities that could be used in, in, you know, increasing savings, building wealth, and, and, you know, achieving goals, basic basic needs, basic basic goods, basic services are all sort of off the table in, in many respects as a result of that issue. So, you know, as we thought about that problem, I think what, what we did is we put a lot of thought into designing what is now a um, somewhat complex solution. But uh, one of the conversations we had recently was just in simple terms, our solution is actually just the reverse of that problem. It's saying, what if instead of charging a poverty premium, we offered a regenerative discount? Mm. So, you know, for people who have fewer resources, instead of charging them more to access credit, what if we charge them less? So that that's our goal is to kind of remain focused on charging people and business owners who are underserved uh, less in, in interest rather than, than more. Yeah, and I've, I've been really drawn in, in my research about the organization, I've been really drawn to some of the creativity uh, and broad-based innovation that you, you both have introduced. I'm wondering if you're able to Sort of having introduced the concept and the and the general thrust behind the the organization and the idea, can you can you share a little bit more about how this has been put into play, or maybe one of the first um, you know ways that the idea has actually been been made made uh, manifest? I'd be curious to know if you could share you know how it's been made real. Sure. Yeah. So one of our first um, nonprofit partners that we worked with was, is, sorry, the Puget Sound Welcome Back Center out of Highline College, which is a community college here locally um, in Des Moines, Washington. And they, that organization works specifically with foreign educated immigrants, refugees who are trying to navigate their pathway back to their career. So a lot of these immigrants and refugees come resettle in the state of Washington and 
their credentials and and their um, professional certifications are not always translated and not always recognized. So they start off working kind of at minimum wage jobs, even though they have the skills to um, to be a, a lawyer, a nurse, a doctor. Um, so this organization really tries to help people navigate what that pathway is to get their credentials and their certifications um, recognized so they can start practicing in their career path. Um, so one of the career paths that they worked with for they've worked with for quite a while is nursing. And, and as we know, nursing is 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 there's a severe nursing shortage uh, nationally as well. Um, so they are really trying to to get foreign educated nurses who have the skills able to actually work in, and earn an income that that provides a, a livable wage for them. So they saw that people were actually not able to complete the program because of the cost um, to get that certification. And so what we did was to work together with uh, the Puget Sound Welcome Back Center to design a small $500 loan at 0% interest to provide that buffer while these individuals are taking their certification courses. And they don't start repaying them until they've taken, finished the course, taken the exam, and are starting to work as a registered nurse, having really seen a significant incre increase in their income. Um, I think we estimated about 100% increase in income, uh, which is about an increase of $25,000 annually for, for these individuals, which really will change yeah, wow. their outlook on, on how they can spend, um, how they can provide for their families and provide for their communities as well. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And thanks for, for drawing that up for us. And I, as I mentioned, I've come across some of the materials you and Brian have, have published, and I'll be happy to put up links to those. Because I think for a lot of listeners, it's um, really helpful and instructive to see both the diagram you've produced, and I, I've seen another article that you wrote. So I'll, I'll find the links to those so, so listeners can can take a, a closer peek at that. Um, so I'm curious. Yeah, I think what's become, sorry. To, oh, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Um, jump in was just what's become interesting to us lately and it really exciting actually is uh, Sunday and I we also spend a lot of time just talking about how so many things are just tools and you know credit itself mm -hmm. is just a tool and it was originally a tool that was used to help neighbors effectively mm -hmm. and so kind of what does it mean to use that tool to help people or subsidize industries even if you're looking at kind of affordable credit as the tool how can we use that more broadly to um, achieve positive outcomes? And so what's been really interesting and exciting for us lately is, is having other organizations reach out and say, well, we have these existing lending programs that we've been running that involve affordable credit as the tool. Would you be interested in collaborating to support the, the scaling of those, um, those pilot funds, those pilot mm. programs? And and actually, what's what I think we both found find quite exciting is just the possibilities are sort of endless when you when we have a relatively broad remit. When we define underserved communities, we we think about who faces discrimination. Um, but other than that, we're we're able to work on a lot of different things. And and um, you know, some of the ideas that are coming to us relate to minority veterans. Others relate to. Uh, Underrepresented communities in in tech, others relate to uh, you know black-owned business owners. It's just the the ideas that are now sort of starting to pollinate our 
are really exciting and interesting and and it's just i think we both get get energized by by the fact that affordable credit really is a tool that can support a lot of different people and a lot of different ideas yeah and the only thing that i would add to that is kind of what we're doing here is is probably not new and it's definitely not new um mm -hmm. we've seen these concepts all happen kind of all over the world and even within our own community we've seen kind of lending circles um, within com the uh, Somali community where people are able to kind of uh, exercise their own ability to to purchase things that are of higher dollar value because they're participating in these circles that don't don't incur any interest um, really what what we're trying to do here is is draw upon um, existing models and what 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 we think and what we are trying to understand from feedback from community members works for them um, to design a model and a solution that will continue to iterate, I'm sure, um, but will re help them reach whatever goals they want to reach and, and be a tool and not kind of and something that they feel will prohibit them or 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 exclude them from actually being able to achieve what what a lot of people in this country are, are able to achieve. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and um, you know, kind of a quick plug for the organizations that we don't see as competitors, but rather sort of thought leaders in the space that we're studying and trying to learn from and, and iterate uh, kind of with respect to our own geography is, you know, RSF. Uh, social finance in San Francisco, Mission Asset Fund in San Francisco, and uh, the Boston Impact Initiative and the Ujima model out of, out of the Northeast. I think those are three models and, and organizations that we have looked at quite closely and that we hope to continue learning from as we build out this work in the Pacific Northwest. That's wonderful. Yeah, and, and I'll try to include or we will include links to those folks as well so people can check them out. And I'd be curious uh, to hear also, Ryan, I think you mentioned as you were beginning to describe the organization, the idea of really turning you know, this really lucrative industry for, for entrenched financial organizations, trying to sort of turn it on, on its head, right? And, and I imagine that that effort is a, is a pretty significant one. And I'd be curious, you know, what sort of challenges you you face as you were trying to set up Community Credit Lab and maybe some that were expected and some that came up that weren't as expected. Uh, if you could walk us through some of those. Sure. I think you know a lot of my role as COO is focused on how do we get money in the door. So my challenges are more on the uh, funding, the incoming funding side. And I'm sure Sandy would have a lot more thoughts on how do we get money how we get money out the door. But um, in terms of actually getting the resources we need to do this work, the challenge on the investment side is really thinking about a product that is low, um, low return, low risk, and really high impact. There's not a lot of demand actually in the world of impact investing for that type of product. It's, you know, that's sort of where impact investing began 10, 10 years ago now, but the world of impact investing has now shifted much more towards you, P 
people um, and advisors having a consensus around the fact that you can sort of have your cake and eat it too in terms of return and impact and that that's a thesis that we fundamentally disagree with. I think especially as we seek to serve underserved communities, our whole approach is is almost the antithesis of that. We're saying if you want to support people who are at risk, who are underserved, something's got to give. You, you There does need to be a reduction in the target return. Otherwise, you will end up extracting from them. Um, you know, in simple terms, kind of simple economic terms, if we got capital in the door at sort of three to five percent and then lent it out, which is a relatively typical um, CDFI model, you would then kind of end up lending at terms that were between sort of six to 10, even upwards of 15 percent, which we think is is detrimental to the people and business owners that we try to serve. So it's, it's about uh, how do we reduce that cost of capital for ourselves and our borrowers? And that means that there's a reduction in returns for the investors that we work with. And so we really need mission aligned uh, at this stage, accredited investors and, and foundations who are able to allocate using mission related investing or program related investing. Mm. Um, and, and willing to kind of think about a, a, a fixed income product that is low risk when we pull in guarantees for our lending programs and then low return. Right now, the return we're offering to our investors is 1%, um, which is ironically now becoming high with coronavirus. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then really high impact. So we're looking for that sort of outsized impact on people's lives, things like what Sandhya referenced earlier with Highline College, where we're doubling, trying to help people double their income. Um, and so we're looking for investors. That's been that's been a challenge is just kind of figuring out what that return, what return is palatable for impact investors for this type of work. Mm-hmm. And actually, there, that's where we've drawn from RSF. They recently changed their returns they actually bumped it up a bit to their investors to 1%. And that was a good learning for us since they've been around for a long time. So that's what we ended up benchmarking against in our work. Yeah, did, um, I'd be curious, did yeah. you feel like the pool, you know, as you were developing the concept and you were thinking about the different institutions or, or funders you might approach, did you find that that pool ended up being about what you expected? Was it smaller? Have you found it's actually bigger once you look in the right places? Well, our existing pool is relatively is is very small in the world of investment. So, what we found is there was actually more demand from the group of individuals that we were working with, which were members of the Seattle Impact Investment Group, and we're very grateful to those people who really did show mission alignment and commitment to the community. Um, but as those number and as those numbers increase and as those dollar sizes increase, that's where we will need to start talking to foundations more and family offices more and investment advisors more. And, and it'll be interesting to see how those conversations play out. I think, you know, the the foundation piece is the other side of how we get money in the door and, and you know, just attracting individual donors is also the other side of getting philanthropic resources that cover the costs of our programs in the door. And that's that's another 
uh, I wouldn't say a challenge. There's a lot of interest, but uh, it it's kind of figuring out the right timing and and the right alignment with the right um, organization is is something that we've we try to track very closely so we can make sure we're sustainable over the long term. I think um, you know just to hear Sonia's side of this as well. She's she's had a lot of challenges and, and interesting learnings from yeah that'd be great getting money out the door yeah I think I just want to um, start by also amplifying what Ryan said um, I think it's when we started and we started kind of at saying like we we want to lend at zero percent um, yeah I, we got a lot of pushback and we got a lot of questions and we got a lot of, um, yeah, we got, just got a lot of feedback from people who were questioning, is this a model that would actually work? And is this a model that would incentivize people to repay? And, and I think that kind of goes back to what we focus on and, and we really believe in people and we really believe in, in providing opportunities and supporting people to not not just providing, but really just supporting people to access whatever opportunities that they um, that they want, and and just kind of having that faith that people, if given the right right support, um, will want to repay. And and I think this concept kind of of like. Oh well, there has to be interest on on a on a loan or, or some sort of incentive to repay. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's we as humans maybe have been trained to believe that, but it was a really big challenge for us to kind of get across the line at the beginning that the concept of zero percent. So I, I think Ryan did a really good job, kind of working with. Um, all the different stakeholders that we had to bring in money that um, work for everyone and and maintaining that affordability, most importantly for, for the borrowers and for the community members who are taking out the loans. So it was yeah, definitely yeah. a challenge. And I, I, I know yeah. that that's, I don't want to just kind of waltz in here and be like, yeah, we did. We just started 0% <laughs> lending. It was definitely yeah, not that easy. Yeah. I think um, what's really interesting also and also worth highlighting is like the world of lending began by you, Trip, coming to me as someone you knew and saying, hey, can I borrow some money? And mm -hmm. me as your friend or neighbor or acquaintance saying, sure, what's it for? Oh, you need a tool for your agriculture. Yes, here you go. Mm -hmm. Here's that tool or here's that money to to buy that tool, right? Mm -hmm. And there was no such thing as interest. And now interest has become this thing that that is obviously inherent in our financial system and, you know, does does create the sustainability of the financial institutions. And I think for us, we we still need to figure out what that looks like in terms of a viable model over time and, and whether kind of affordable interest rates, you know, less than prime still makes sense. But it's just, you know, what we're trying to do is, is literally not innovative in the sense that we are going back to the way lending began <laughs> sure. um, at its inception. So, so yeah. I think that's also important to recognize as well. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, and as you're describing sort of the, 
yeah, I'm, I'm coming to the recognition that, you know, you're operating in a pretty, uh, there's an ecosystem at play here where there's a lot of different actors involved, right? And I'd be curious to hear, you know, if, if we think about, just to offer a framework, if, we, if you think about public sector actors, private sector actors, uh, nonprofit social enterprises such as yourself, um, other peer nonprofits that, um, or other nonprofits that might be providing other services, you know, where do you see Community Credit Lab fitting best in that ecosystem? Because obviously there's a lot of different, different uh, levers to be pulled for somebody to realize that sort of agency Sandra, you talked about your, that you're endeavoring to provide. So I'd be curious where you think, you know, among all those different, the constellation of actors involved in developing a vibrant economy, where does Community Credit Lab fit in best or how does it work best? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, we are structured as a nonprofit. I think we, honestly, I think we really kind of sit in between all of these players. We're really trying to coordinate all of these different players. I think if we had to put a label, maybe social enterprise, um, but we're really kind of trying to coordinate either resources or support um, and really shift the way that money is flowing across the public sector, private sector, individuals, social enterprises, nonprofits. Um, in a way that really does center our community members and really does center the people who are are currently being underserved and aren't able to access what they need to, to make it from day to day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're not trying to do all that on our own, right? I think a really e easy example is just yesterday we presented to a group of three CDFIs that are thinking about a new lending strategy in, in South King County and, and supporting underserved communities there. And, and we would have most likely no direct involvement in that strategy, but we shared our research and we shared our thinking around how affordable credit could be a tool to mitigate the costs of rising rents um, for com you know, businesses, small businesses in that, in that geography. And so kind of just sharing these ideas and having conversations that are transparent and open and, and thoughtful is very much a part of our role. It's not about us sort of aggregating more and more resources all the time and, and coming up with our own lending programs. It's also about making sure we're having conversations that are constructive. Sure. And just because that the term has come up a couple of times, CDFI, could you just offer the audience? Sure, yeah, sorry. We try to avoid acronyms, but I'm not always the best at it. It's uh, Community Development Financial Institutions. Great. So that's that's a pool of government funding and a, a government certification that, that allows access to that pool of funding, which is then designed for small businesses, small businesses that meet certain criteria. Great. Great, great, great. And is there, you know, is there a, a actor in that constellation that we were just describing? Is there a group that you would would like to work with more that you maybe haven't? It's not something you've explored yet, or it, that hasn't really taken flight, but that you'd like to work with more. I, I haven't. I guess in, in particular, I haven't. We haven't discussed um, much involvement with any any policy influence, or if there's anything on the public sector side, or any, anything regarding regarding sort of that angle. I'd be curious if it's that if it's government or another that you'd be really interested in engaging with but haven't really so much up to now. 
Yeah, you you read our mind. That was that was <laughs> that was the answer that we were gonna give. Um, yeah. So I stole your thunder. Definitely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, the public sector is is one that we think has. Um, yeah, we're just really interested to see, even locally, um, how we can either engage either informally or formally with them. We know that they have, they are connected to a lot of organizations locally and have the ability to um, kind of connect outwards, but also inform policy inwards based on testing solutions um, within their neighbor, within the neighborhoods in that community. Mm -hmm. um, so we are quite interested in figuring out ways that we can um, partner or work with um, the public sector for sure. That's one that is at the beginning of this year, we put on our list of, of areas that we um, want to get to know more and build more relationships in. Yeah. Yeah. I, t I totally agree. I think, um, yeah, totally agree. Great. Great. And then I have a last question that's, that's just for fun question. So as we've been talking, there's, there's a lot of different organizations and entities and actors involved in developing a vibrant economy. If we were in an instance um, where an economy needed to be built from scratch, right, and you could put on any of the hats of the different sort of actors we described, you know, from government to private sector to um, to nonprofit to a social enterprise, what what would be the one you would be most keen to grab, and and what would be one of the first few things you would do to set the you know, set the foundation for a really vibrant economy. I am really interested to hear what Ryan says, but, <laughs> my, but my take is um, I would definitely want to be, to play the role of government. I feel like um, the government can play such a transformational role in setting people up for success in terms of the policies they design in terms of the programs that they fund. Um, I know that we kind of think of government as being quite bureaucratic and it's and sometimes it does really does feel like that. But really I think the government is is there to to really support all of every single member of our community. Um, whether you don't have a home or and are homeless on the street or you are a bazillionaire. We're really here. The government is really there to kind of make sure that every person has what they need to be successful and the, the policies are in place that support that continued effort. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, you're on the hot I, seat now. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I think that's well said. I think, um, we also talk a lot about the fact that we're all in this together and we sort of, we succeed and we fail together. And, you know, whether we recognize that or not uh, over the long term, I think we fundamentally believe that to be true. Um, I guess where, you know, where my mind goes is if we're thinking about setting up something new on the moon or, or elsewhere, and maybe the systems we have in place right now, maybe the kind of different stakeholder groups that we have in place just aren't the right groups. Like, you mm. know, how is there a way to break down these silos so it's less of a choice between government and private sector and nonprofit? 
sectors and more of a what does it look like to build a society where people can collectively thrive um, in a way that doesn't involve the existing institutions. I think um, the democracy we're in right now is is somewhat of a misguided concept with a two-party system and and you know having not everyone's vote always count under the electoral college so how do we rebuild things in a way where we are start really starting from scratch and and and, and not in a sense that we're forgetting everything that has been built but in a sense that we're thinking about what have we learned so far um on earth and and what does it look like to break down those walls and those barriers and those silos and and build something new. Um, I don't have a good answer to that right now, but that sounds like a really fun exercise at some point to get into. Yeah, that deserves a, a six-hour follow-up conversation. <laughs> yeah, with a lot more people. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, thank you so much for joining, Ryan and Sanja. And before we go, if you can just offer to the audience where they can follow you or find you or, or even contribute to the work you're doing. Yeah, I, I, the Patreon page that I think if you're able to put a link up for yeah, that. Yeah, sure, we'll put a link up for that. That's that's the place where we're, we're planning to share a lot of our updates. Um, and, you know, anyone anyone can join. I think the lowest contribution we have there is $5 a month. So hopefully that is affordable for most people. And if, if it's not, then uh, just send us an email or sign up to our mailing list on our website. Um and then if for kind of more higher dollar foundations and, and donor advised funds or donors, feel free to contact us directly as well as the accredited impact investors. Yeah. Could you just even spell out the URL or not even spell it out, but just what what is the... Your, sure. For okay. Patreon. It's yeah. Pa- well, even for just the, yeah, the website you just mentioned too. I don't sure. Know. Our website is www.communitycreditlab.org and our Patreon site is patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash community credit lab. Wonderful. And I know you're on LinkedIn um, as well. And um and so that's a good place to, I've, you put up good content there. I think people will find some value in following you there as well. Um, yeah, I tried it. We try to. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Both yeah. those places we and Twitter is at afford credit. Okay. At afford credit. Great. Yeah. And we'll put all this in the notes. Um, listen, thanks again so much for joining and glad to have the chance to have a conversation here more about the, the work you're doing and, and um, looking forward to watching it blossom even more. Great. Thank you, Trip. Thanks, Trip, for inviting us. Thanks for listening. Check the show notes for links and information mentioned in the episode. And explore the other episodes in this season to learn more on this topic. Look, I've listened to them all. I'm obviously a little bit biased, but I really do think each offers a valuable perspective you'll appreciate. Before we go, subscribe to our show to get new episodes as soon as they come online. And please rate us on whatever podcast app you use. That helps other people discover the show as well. We'd be excited to hear from you. Send us a mail at revolvepodcast at gmail.com.